the diamond I realised The Empathy Museum presents Mile and My Shoes. These are not actually shoes, these are trainers. And they are a size 8, which is my size. They're running shoes, definitely. They are a running brand called Mizuno. They've taken the Nike Air Max thing to the next level. How do you describe it? There's the bottom of the sole, and then there's a gap, and then there's the top of the sole, and there's one, two, three, four, five of these gaps. They're not air bubbles. They're absolutely straight through holes. You put a pencil through it. I don't know if that provides suspension every time you you hit the ground. These shoes belong to Cali Youth in Pathmanathan. This is his story. My name is Cali. My full name is Cali Youth. I'm a Tamil from Tamil Ulam in Ceylon. I came as a refugee to Australia four years ago. Now I'm settled in Perth. I was born in an island village called uh, Kites. It's a very small community where almost everyone is related to each other. When I was a um, child, the civil war in Sri Lanka was getting intense. Uh, there was heavy fighting. If you're a Tamil at that time, you're seen as a Tamil tiger, which is the rebel group that was fighting for an independent Tamil state. Even as a child, there are things I couldn't say because uh, it was quite dangerous. I would sometimes sing the Tamil revolution songs and my parents were always scared. <laughs> my family moved to Germany. We ended up living there for seven years until our asylum claims were rejected and we had to return. Myself and my younger sister, we were so happy, we were just so excited and then we reached Sri Lanka, it was hot too. It was really hot and I showered three times a day and the people were very different, uh, it was an entirely different culture. Uh, so it took a while for me to adapt to my own country. So in 2009, that was the end of the conflict in um, Sri Lanka. The situation became very dangerous for any outspoken individual. It doesn't matter if you're a Tamil or if you're a Sinhalese. The government was still very paranoid and uh, you could disappear. They, you get shot, you can get kidnapped, um, or you get even officially get arrested and officially put in a prison where you just end up there forever. My family was very fearful of uh, my safety and um, I left to uh, Singapore with the plan to stay there for a while, for a couple of months, and see how situations are like in Sri Lanka. I ended up in Malaysia. Things were different in Malaysia. There were uh, crackdowns on uh, asylum seekers and refugees. I had an opportunity to come to Australia in the first month when I left Sri Lanka, but I didn't take it. I didn't want it because I was quite angry. Um, at that time, I was angry at everyone, especially... <laughs> white people uh, about all the things that was happening. I was blaming people for what was happening, why I had to leave. And I was quite arrogant and said to myself, I'm not going to a white man's country. There were other, there were other options. I could have gone to Europe, but I didn't have any money. I lost everything. I didn't have a visa. I couldn't apply for um, a refugee status from Malaysia. Uh, they were, I couldn't do anything. I arrived in Indonesia, in, in Jakarta. 
I was uh, taken in a four-wheel drive by this Tamil guy uh, who spoke really fluent Indonesian. They put me in a safe house for seven days with a bunch of other people I didn't know. And then just one night, they called and said, we are ready to go, just pack your stuff. We were told uh, seven days. Everyone thought, okay, this is just going to be a short trip. And then the weather was so bad. And they said, oh, we're expecting another 50 people when we were already 48. So the seven days became nine days and 13 days and 14 days. And then what happened was when we anchored, the anchor came off. So we had to wait in the middle of the sea. They decided to cut off the anchor. And they said, no, it's all right. We'll get a new anchor uh, in the next uh, trip of the small fishing vessel. I was sleeping on, uh, on top of the boat, looking at the sky. It was awesome, especially uh, when, the weather, uh, when the sea is calm. It's really nice. You see the stars. You see it's like, it's like cotton. <laughs> You're on cotton, on top of cotton, moving around. Uh, I was still awake, and I could see fishing vessels approaching us. For some reason, they came towards us, and then I think they didn't see us. So they turned around, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should tell people. Uh, I know we were expecting people, but I don't know what actually happened. I know they had phones and stuff on the boat. I don't know why they didn't contact. So they disappeared. Um, But then the next morning, um, they said, oh, the fishing vessel actually came, but then the weather was bad, they couldn't see us, they returned, but on the way, the weather was bad, and it capsized, and seven people died. And then everyone just freaked out, and people were st- talking about the seven people, like some of the people knew those people, and it was good in a way, I didn't know anyone, so it was less intense for me, but it was still bad experience. And then um, they all talked about this guy um, who, was, who died, who waited in Malaysia for 10 years, who registered with UNHCR and try and get resettled Why UNHCR. And then eventually he gave up and he just, yeah, he died <laughs> after the 10 years. And that struck me so hard. I was like, shit. Uh, so 21st day, uh, we saw this landmass and then people just started cheering and everyone, everyone just changed suddenly. Everyone just became so happy and... So I still remember the picture where I saw the landmass and it was just amazing. <laughs> so I was in um, uh, immigration detention for 17 months altogether. I was in three different detention centers. So after Christmas Island, I arrived in Perth Detention Center and then I was moved to Curtin Detention Center. Curtin is the place where I felt like I needed help. So until that, I did need help, but I was ignoring the fact. Curtin was a bit too intense. Uh, it was too isolated. It was too uh, inhumane to ignore. I'm not sure why I said yes to that mental health nurse when I was offered. But as soon as I arrived, I couldn't even speak to that guy. I just started crying. When the mental health started, okay, tell me about yourself. And then I just couldn't say a word. Uh, and I was quite angry when he said, how can I help you? I said, you can't help me. You can't do shit about this man. But then he said, I'm, I probably won't be, but I can listen to you. And uh, I'm still friends with that mental health nurse. We kept in touch. 
when I got out of from Curtin, he was flying out at the same time in the same flight, and he was very happy to see me. I could see his in his face. He was so happy. He offered to sit with me. Next to me was an immigration officer, <laughs> and my friend was going to buy me a beer, but then he put the wallet in the luggage, <laughs> and uh, the immigration officer bought me a beer. Because they were asking how long uh, it's been since I had a beer, and it's been 17 months. So he bought me beer, and we were having a good chat with that guy, and uh, that's how I arrived in uh, in Melbourne. Next morning, I, I I love walking, so I went outside the house and went to the shopping mall, and I still thought I was in detention centre. I didn't know how to cope. I didn't. I couldn't get my English out. I was walking a lot, I was touching things, I was quite fascinated. Just like I had to remember my culture when I got back from Germany, I had to remember what freedom was like. But this time it was so intense because I forgot. It took me quite a while, I think I'm still getting there. I remember spending uh, New Year's Eve in Melbourne uh, with a friend of mine. And there was all these fireworks and people being happy and... I just couldn't be happy. I still have issues in places like big celebrations. I just can't be happy because that reminds me of other people stuck without that happiness and freedom. Callie's story was produced by Mary Fatten. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile In My Shoes exhibition. The, moment we the shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next. 